Well, it's good to see you this morning, and I am grateful for all of you. And I just want to take a little bit of time. I'm not going to dwell on this a whole long time. We're, we're here really to worship the Lord. Amen? Amen. And uh, all the other stuff is really peripheral to that. And the truth of the matter is, is the Lord is in control. I don't think he fell off his throne this morning, do you? And I think that God is sovereign. I do want to take a moment. You may not have received my resignation letter. I just want to read that. I got a couple comments on this and just to kind of frame that. I know it's on a lot of people's minds. I just wrote, Dear Church Family, it's with deep sorrow and yet with great peace that I'm resigning as senior pastor from Hoffmantown Church. And I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian believers in chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There are times the Lord calls us to die to self, what we want or even what we want to see him accomplish for the sake of others. And with this in mind, the Lord has led me to lay down the role of senior pastor of Hoffmantown. I'm deeply grateful for the time I've shared with you. I've learned so much about our Lord. My family and I are grateful to so many of you who have prayed for us and shared your lives with us. We know the Lord is good all the time and has wonderful things in store for you as you follow him. Thank you. The Lord bless you richly. He himself is the source necessary for each of us to walk in his ways and love one another. Let us all keep our eyes fixed upon him and trust him to lead and guide us in his everlasting way. Stay in the word. Stand firm in his grace. Love one another. Serve him with gladness. And trust in the Lord and do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do you believe that? I believe that. And I believe God is good all the time. Amen. There's several things you need to know about my resignation. It did not come as a result of any threat. Uh, it, some people said, well, you're tired and you're not making wise decisions. No, it wasn't because I'm tired. We follow the Lord and we trust him for the strength and the grace to do what he's called us to do. It's not because of anyone's demand. Uh, circumstances are clearly a part of decisions as we seek to follow the Lord and so obviously there are circumstances surrounding this, but the bottom line is, what is the Lord saying? What does the Lord want? How is he leading? For my family and me, the Lord made it clear to lay this role down as senior pastor. And this was prayed about, agreed, and affirmed by our elders. And by the way, they did not fire me. The elders did not fire me. Uh, that was something that was going around. Um, I love our elders. Uh, they are godly men. And I want to tell you something. They are. Uh, they will shepherd you through this, and I would encourage you to pray for them because they are under a lot of pressure in many different ways as they seek to follow the Lord with great wisdom. Uh, God is good, folks. And my prayer is that Hoffmantown Church will come together in a way perhaps that it has never been before. And I say that not to look back. I say that to look forward. God is good and the Lord is on his throne. And, and folks, I'm going to just walk you through a few things this morning in terms of just some basic truths. And for a church to be at war, 
doesn't honor Christ. And I just want to encourage you in that. Uh, there are issues, no question. There are circumstances that need to be addressed and put out on the table. And, and the, the stuff that just needs to be dealt with needs to be dealt with. But it needs to be dealt with in a right and godly way. It needs to be dealt with in God's grace. And it needs to be dealt with in prayer. And it needs to be dealt with in humility. It needs to be dealt with in kindness and gentleness. And it needs to be brought before the Lord to seek what he wants more than anything else. And so I would encourage you in the midst of our mourning today that you go before the Lord in your own heart. We're going to have a time of communion. We didn't plan this for, for this moment. This is something I believe God has orchestrated and God has planned. And we're going to take some time just to really make sure that our hearts are rightly related uh, to the Lord first and foremost and one another as well. There's three things because we're Baptists and we always have to have three things. Every believer should be focused on the Lord. And what does that look like? What does it look like when we're focused on the Lord? Well, I think when we're focused on the Lord, then there's three things. We should be longing for his word. We ought to be worshiping him. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about every moment of every day. I'm talking about when you're driving. I'm talking about when you're at the grocery store stuck behind somebody going really slow. I'm talking about no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, that you are simply saying, yes, Lord. Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to, I want to experience you and you're sovereign over my life. That's what worship is. And thirdly, we ought to be witnessing, not just with words, although words are obviously necessary at times, but with our lives, we ought to be witnessing of the Lord's great love for us. Great love for us. So first, the... The word of God, every believer ought to be focused, should be longing for his word. And I would simply say this, 2 Peter chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. When we talk about the word of God, folks, the word of God is God's word. It's not our opinion of his word that matters. It's not, <laughs> we're going to pull 20 different translations and, or we're going to get 20 different commentaries and figure out the one that most fits what we think this is about. It's God's word. And there's a right way to handle God's word. There's a wrong way to handle God's word. Paul made that very clear to Timothy. But in 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, he says, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That idea of moved by the Holy Spirit literally means they were in this tiny little boat being carried along by a rushing river. The Lord used them and used their uh, intellect. He used their experiences. He used their thought processes. He used the uniquenesses of each of the writers in order to make sure that what was written uh, reflected uh, authorial intent. No question about that. But it's God's word, and the Holy Spirit was leading them. And when we, when we hold the word of God, and when we teach the word of God, and when we get into the word of God, we've got to first and foremost remember, as believers, we are ought to be focused on the Lord, and in so doing, we are in the Word of God, and we recognize that God's Word is God's Word, period. And folks, we talked about this last week. We've talked about it this last couple weeks. We've seen this perhaps over the last period of time. There is no question that Satan is always attacking 
God's word. Did God really say? Did God really say? And that's something as believers we must make sure that in our minds that that's settled. The word of God is God's word. But secondly, the word is a living word. It's not just a book. It's not just a, a didactic teaching. It's just not an academic thing. We, we, we recognize God's word is living. And Hebrews 4.12 speaks to this clearly. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Think about that. right? The Holy Spirit uses the word of God, which is living word of God, because it's breathed by the word of God. It's inspired by the word of God. It's his word. And as a result, the Holy Spirit is always using the word of God in our lives, and it separates. It's able to judge the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that idea of judging simply means separating. He, he's able to weigh the motive far greater than we are. And we get into the word of God, and we begin to, to recognize what God's word through the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And as a result, God begins to do a work in order to help us even understand our own motives. The Word of God is a living Word. Now, the Word of God will endure forever. Amen to that? I mean, think about that. When we hold the Word of God and we hold this precious Word from the Lord, we recognize that it's His Word, we recognize it's a living Word, but we also recognize that it will endure forever. And again, out of 1 Peter 1, 23-25, he says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Now think about that, folks. The word of God endures forever. Ought we not, because it's God's word and because it's a living word and because it's going to endure forever, make sure as believers that we are absolutely single-minded in being in God's word, walking in God's word, walking as a result of God's word and recognizing the power of God in us in order to transform us so that all the things that he desires to see take place in and through our lives will take place because of his power, his glory, and his goodness. That's the point. God's word will last forever. The last point on God's word, and not least for sure, the word is how God grows believers. That's how God grows us. And again, out of 1 Peter, Peter had a lot to say about this. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and he's just giving us a picture of the flesh. That's what the flesh does. Right? Put it aside. Lay it aside. That's what the flesh does. He says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. He doesn't say be a newborn baby. He said like a newborn baby. Amen? <laughs> Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it, by the word, you may grow in respect to salvation. And when you walk with God and you get into the word of God and you begin to understand and begin to accept that God's word is God's word and God's word is living and active and that God's word is going to endure forever and that it is something commanded of us to long for the pure milk of the word. That word long is a command. He's not just giving us a, an option here. He's saying, this is what you are to do. 
You get into the word of God, you long for the pure milk of the word of God. Why? So that as believers you may grow in respect to salvation, in your understanding of what God has done for you and who you are in Christ and what Christ is able to do in and through your life. That's the point. So when we say that believers ought to be focused on the Lord, you can't be focused on the Lord and not be in the Word of God. If you're focused on the Lord, you will be in the Word of God, right? That's first. Secondly, believers who are focused on the Lord are going to worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Now, my goodness, we've gone through all kinds, and I'm not saying here necessarily, but I'm saying across the, the country, all kinds of worship battles, should we use a guitar? Do we use an organ? Right? <laughs> I can remember down at one of the churches I served at in Florida, there was a big hubaloo about the fact that we were actually going to use drums. Drums. And I'm serious. It was a big hubaloo. Right? I mean, the worship pastor at the time was new, and this was a serious decision that he had to make. Am I going to give in to the fact that these people think drums are too loud? Or are we going to move forward in this? Right? Folks, that's that's not what we're talking about when we talk about worship. What we're talking about with regard to worship is yielding our lives to Christ. And it takes place every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. In John chapter 4, verses 22 and following, the Lord is speaking to the woman of the well, and he says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. He says, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, from the very essence of who we are. The very essence of who we are. The idea of worship here, there's all kinds of different words for worship. And the word that's being used here by the Lord as he speaks to what true worship is, is literally to get on your face and bow before the Lord God Almighty. Period. How are we to worship him? We are to recognize who he is. And how do we recognize who he is? Because Jesus Christ was sent in order for us to understand the Father. If we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Father. If we recognize who the Son is, we recognize who the Father is. Do we recognize the Son? And in the midst of that, do we recognize that he is alone worthy of our worship and from the very essence of who we are, we're willing to lay it down, bow down, get before him, acknowledge his greatness, acknowledge that he is the Lord, and worship him. Give him deference, worth for who he truly is. Well, secondly, if we're focused on the Lord, then we're going to be worshiping the Lord and there's going to be a dying to self. A dying to self. And oh, friend, this is hard, right? Nobody, I mean, does anybody seriously enjoy dying to self? You know, when you talk about Christianity and you tell people about what Christ has done and we're going to get heaven and we've got all these uh, blessings, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ and we get to, we get to walk with the Lord, we get to experience God and, and God is going to cleanse us and he's forgiven us and now he's in us and he's going to empower us and he's going to walk. And, and nobody likes bringing up dying to self. <laughs> when you become a believer, you know what? God leads us, and he does do all those things, but he also makes it very clear 
that we're living sacrifices. And so part of worship is learning to die to self. No greater passage on this than Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Spiritual service. It's the most reasonable thing to do because of all the mercies of God, because of everything that he's done for us, because he went to the cross, because he came to earth in the first place, because he went to the cross, because he experienced death even on a cross. He humbled himself. The most reasonable thing that we could do is say, yes, Lord, and present our bodies. That word present simply means constantly, over and over, completed action. It's a decision to make every moment of every day, no matter what. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter what the environment is. Present. And we become living testimonies in effect. Living sacrifices of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who's able to do in us and through us what we could never do on our own. But it takes us making a decision to say, yes, Lord, and to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. The word worship here has the idea of service. It has the idea of what we do for God. So the first word for worship is just an overall categorical word that has the idea of bowing down before him and acknowledging his greatness, that he is the Lord. Here, what the Apostle Paul is saying is because of everything that God has done, because you're now saved by grace through faith in Christ, now present your bodies a living sacrifice and present and present and present. There's never a moment that we shouldn't be presenting ourselves. And in the midst of it, This is the most spiritual service of worship. This is the most logical thing. As you serve the Lord according to his leadership, according to his guidance, and according to what he is able to do in and through us. Worship him. Serve him. But present yourself first and foremost so that God in and through you will begin to transform you so that your service to the Lord will reflect all that he is, all that he's done, his character and his accomplishments. He goes on, he says, don't be conformed to this world, don't be pressed into the mold of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. As you serve the Lord, as you're presenting yourself to Christ, as you're being a living sacrifice over and over and over and over again, then you will begin to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What a beautiful truth in the midst of everything in terms of our lives. Well, thirdly, true worship places no confidence in the flesh. And Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 is such a beautiful picture of this. Paul is such a wonderful picture to us of this. He says, we are the true circumcision the worsh- who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And then he makes this comment. He says, and put no confidence in the flesh. The word confidence means we are not persuaded by the flesh at all whatsoever. Not persuaded by the flesh. What are we persuaded by? By God's 
goodness, by God's greatness, by the fact that the Lord is the Lord. That's what we're persuaded by. We don't put confidence in ourselves. We don't put confidence in our own thinking. We don't put confidence in our own ability. We don't put confidence in the flesh. What do we do? We worship in the spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus. We don't put confidence in the flesh. One of my favorite pictures of of worship, I don't know if you've thought of it this way, but it is a picture of worship, is in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and they're about to kind of go into battle mode about with Jericho, you know, and they've gone through a bunch of different things, they've seen God at work, but now they're kind of working on, okay, how are we going to take this land? And Jericho was one of the key cities as they were looking at the, the land of Canaan in terms of coming into it. And militarily, it was a strategic city. They, they couldn't avoid going to battle with Jericho. And, and all the inhabitants knew it. You know, if you go back and read the story about Rahab, they had all been watching this nation of Israel. They had actually heard about all the things that God had done to rescue them out of Egypt 40 years before. And Rahab says, everybody's melting with fear. (laughs) I love that. God's at work in ways we have no, no idea about. But in the midst of it, Joshua, as a good commander, is going to go and look out over this battlefield. And verse 13 says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? That's an amazing moment. Here's a guy, Joshua's out looking around, and all of a sudden he looks over, and here's a guy standing, and he's got his sword drawn. And I appreciate Joshua's boldness, don't you? He didn't go, oh, where's my army? i got to go run and find them. I mean, it was clear that Joshua was going and confronting this individual. He was ready to fight. Verse 14, and I believe this is clearly the Lord Jesus. The translation in the New American Standard says no. I think maybe a better way of looking at it is neither. Neither. Whose side are you on? Neither. Whose side are you going to take? Neither. Think about that. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What is my Lord to say to his servant? Oh, what a picture of worship. What a picture of worship. The captain of the Lord's host, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. That's why I believe it's the Lord. No angel would have received the worship that Joshua was giving to this individual. Think about that. Folks, when we get into, when we get into uh, argument mode, and, and some people are starting to, well, I'm on this side, or I'm on that side, or I'm, oh boy, that's not a good place, folks. We've got to get back, and we've got to really come before the Lord and recognize that he's the captain of the host of the Lord's army. He is our leader. He is the shepherd. He is the one that we follow, and we've got to remember the question is not whose side the Lord's on. The question is, are we on the Lord's side? That's the bottom line. That's the issue, right? I love how Joshua just fell on his face, 
bowed down. What is my Lord to say to his servant? Folks, I would encourage you to take that as a picture, even tonight. Even tonight. Fall down on your face before the Lord and say, what is my Lord to say to his servant? Lord, what do you have to say to us as a church body? We want to be on your side. We want to walk with you. And true believers and believers who are walking in the spirit of God, believers who are truly focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to be in the word of God and they're going to worship God. They're going to worship God in a way where they simply just say, Lord, what do you want? Not what do we want, not what do we think. We're not going to depend upon ourselves and our own thinking. We're not going to depend upon our own plans and all this other stuff. We're going to simply go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? Now, there's not only the word and worship, but there's clearly a witness. A witness. And, and what we're talking about is a testimony. A testimony. I, I want to encourage you. Everybody here has a testimony. Everybody here has a testimony. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a testimony about how God worked in your life to bring you to that point where you're willing to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him, believing in him. And then you have a testimony of how God has led you and how God is working in your life. And some of that looks like failure. Some of that looks like, uh, boy, I didn't get this one right, but God in his grace, praise God, and in his mercy, picked me back up and reminded me that it's not dependent upon me, it's dependent upon him. And in the midst of it, I can follow him and I can walk with him and I can say yes to him, knowing fully and with certainty that I'm a child of the king. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. And in the midst of it, we have an opportunity to share with others the story of what God has done in our lives, Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, and I love this because it's been our mission's theme for years now, but he said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The Holy Spirit is who empowers us to witness of Christ. Every believer has a witness or a testimony. But it's in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And as we're focused on the Word of God, because we recognize that the Word of God is God's Word, and we, we recognize that we grow as a result of the working of the Word in our lives and transforming our minds and, and working on our hearts and our attitudes to, towards the Lord, as we begin to learn what it means to worship God because He's the Lord and He's the one in charge, then God in and through us begins to empower us as to the testimony of what we have with regard to those around us who have no hope. And it is then that we get to experience God even in a fresh way. Because we're reminded of what God has done in our lives, what he's doing in our lives, what he can do in our lives. And we then have the opportunity to begin to share with others how great our God is. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. But a true witness also testifies of Christ it's not just simply my story. It's not just simply your story. It's our story about Jesus. And it's our story about what Jesus is able to do. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19, Paul says it this way, All these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us 
believers, the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, here is the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Wow. Now, let me just take apart one word because I just can't help myself. But the word committed is an interesting word. Folks, there are a lot of people that are committed to things, but I want to tell you something. If you're not surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be committed all day long, and you're not going to experience the power of God. What he's saying with this word committed, it means to be given to, given over to. Now, let me get a little wonky with you, okay? Aorist, it means every moment at every time that there's an opportunity to do so. You have the opportunity. You're at the store. You're with your neighbor. You're in the midst of the parking lot trying to figure out where your car is, and somebody walks up and says, can I help you? And all of a sudden, you're immediately engaged with somebody. You don't know whether they're a believer or not. Every time that we come in contact with unbelievers, we've got to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign over that and that he has given us a ministry a word of reconciliation that God in Christ wants to reconcile unbelievers to himself. And we have a hope. We have a certainty because of what Christ did for us at the cross and because he didn't stay dead, he rose again from the dead. And as a result, we have a story, we have a witness, we have a testimony to all those around us who have no hope, who don't know where they're going. They don't have any purpose in life. So he has certainly given this to us, but I want to encourage you in this. It's in the middle voice. It's in the middle voice, and this is fascinating to me because he doesn't just simply say, okay, Eric, I saved you, and now I've given you this ministry to go and do and accomplish on your own. Let's see how you do. I mean, are you grateful for that? I'm grateful for that because there's times where I trip and stumble. There's times where I go, oh, I'm too tired to talk. Lord, do you really want me to talk to that person? Lord, it's kind of embarrassing. I don't know how I'm going to talk about Jesus in the midst of all this. Have you ever done that? You've never done that. I know you've never done that, right? You've... The middle voice gives us a picture of God's involvement in our lives to help accomplish in us and through us what he has demanded of us. In other words, he's not saying this is totally up to you, and he's not saying that I'm going to make you do this. What he's simply saying is, I've given you this ministry. As you yield to me, then I will accomplish this in and through your life. So the first decision to make is not, what's my story? The first decision to make is, yes, Lord. And as we say, yes, Lord, then God in and through us begins to do a work where he will empower us to share the testimony, the story that he has given to us for those all around. We have a witness. We have a witness that's empowered by the Spirit of God and certainly points to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Folks, it's all about the Lord. It's all about the Lord. 
It's all about his sovereignty. It's all about the fact that he leads us. It's all about the fact that he empowers us. It's all about the fact that he even gives us wisdom in what to say, how to say it, when to say it, with the right attitude in it. But it starts with us saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Well, communion is a precious time for believers, isn't it? And it is for believers. And if you're not a member of this church, but you're a believer, this is certainly a time for you as well. We welcome you to join with us in simply being reminded of what the Lord has done for us. It's not just personal, it's also for the body of Christ. But I want to really encourage you in the midst of this morning to focus in on what is the Lord saying and what is God doing in your heart Communion is a time to remember the sacrifice of the Lord made on our behalf so that we may be focused correctly on him. It's a time to refocus on the Lord. If we've gotten off focus, it's a time to proclaim the Lord's death as a testimony. In fact, verse 26, he makes this very clear in Corinthians where he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is in many ways a testimony in and of itself. In verse 28 of this passage in Corinthians, he, he makes it very clear. It's a time for us to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. He says in verse 28, a man must examine himself and in so doing is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And it comes with a warning. And folks, I say this kindly and gently. I say this to myself as anybody else. Honestly. Verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. If we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Folks, take the Lord's Supper for what it is. It's to be a cathartic moment. It's to be a cleansing moment. It's to help us reflect and, and refocus on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And if there's anything in our lives, if there's anything in our hearts where we have not walked with the Lord and the Holy Spirit begins to make very clear to us that there's sin in our lives and we need to get it right, then we need to get it right. Go to the Lord and make it right. Don't, don't mess with this, if I could put it that way. God is serious about this. This isn't just a ritual that we do. This is a moment where we literally, as the people of God individually, come before the Lord himself and make sure that in our personal walk with God that we are rightly related with the Lord. What's the focus of it? Well, I want to tell you, it's the focus is the life of Christ given for us. The life of Christ given for us. Think about that. Folks, one day we're going to be in heaven together. And so much of the things we get caught up in are not even going to be a thought on our mind. How are we focused on the Lord? How are we walking with God? How are we saying yes to Christ? How are we in his word? How are we worshiping him? What's the testimony? What's the witness of our lives? Let's take a, a bit of time. 
And just let's go before the Lord as a congregation, but individually, let's go before the Lord and say, Lord, would you cleanse us? Would you work in our lives if there's anything there that needs to be repented of, that needs to be confessed, that we just give it over to you. We want to hear from you. We want to follow you. We want to walk with you. We want to see you glorified. But Lord, we need to have you do a work in our hearts first and foremost. We are the body of Christ. I believe the Lord can do that. I believe that's what the Lord is doing. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And let's prepare our hearts for this time of communion. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the working of your spirit as we worship you from our hearts. And certainly, Lord, the testimony that we have individually and corporately of how you work and your goodness, how you're able to transform. And Lord, I thank you for your comfort. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for a time right now just to be still before you and just to take a moment to remember, to reflect on what you did for us at the cross. Oh, I'm so grateful for that, Lord. It's amazing to think that you left heaven in order to come to this earth. You placed yourself under the consequence of sin to go to the cross to shed your blood for me, for us, so that we might, by believing in you, have eternal life, have your life, be restored into a relationship with you. Thank you for that. Lord, as we take this time of communion, as we reflect on our own hearts and our own lives, Lord, would you speak? Would you work in my heart and the lives of each one here? Lord, may we be rightly related to you. And as a result, Lord, may we be rightly related with one another. I thank you for your grace, Lord. I thank you for all that you've done. Speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Men are going to come and begin to serve the bread. In this passage, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and 24, Paul tells us the order of this. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you receive the bread, it's a, it's a reminder that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth in order to go to the cross, that he became our sin bearer. He became our sin bearer. He allowed a sacrifice to take place that alone is sufficient for salvation. Take some time as you receive this and just go before the Lord and make sure you're rightly related before the Lord in your heart and your mind with one another and take some time to thank the Lord for coming to this earth to go to the cross.
Amen. And they took and they ate. Men are going to come and serve the, the cup. Paul goes on to say, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We talk about the blood of Christ and what an what a amazing picture, amazing truth this is. Without the shedding of blood, there is no throwing away remission and or forgiveness of sin. There is none. As you receive the cup, take time. Thank the Lord. Thank him for his grace. Thank him for all that he's done. Thank him for going to the cross. Thank him for shedding his perfect spotless blood so that when we believe in him, we may be cleansed And as believers, when we trip and stumble, that the Lord will cleanse because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Take a moment, be still before him, and thank him. And they took and they drank. 
Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for your grace, your sacrifice, your mercy, your goodness. I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you that you're the shepherd. Lord, shepherd this flock in the way that you alone are able. I thank you for the elders. I pray that you give them grace. Watch over them, protect them, direct them, guide them. I pray that each person here who's a believer would simply yield to you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to close, and then I'm going to ask Kim Chrisman to come up. And it's my, two of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I just want to leave it with you. Uh, Galatians 2.20 and 21. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace. I don't set the grace of God aside. For if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died needlessly. There's a wonderful poem Stephanie was sharing with me, and Elizabeth Elliot has quoted this. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who wrote it. But it's called Do the Next Thing. Do the Next Thing. At an old English parsonage down by the sea, there came in the twilight a message to me. Its quaint Saxon legend deeply engraven that, as it seems to me, teaching from heaven. And all through the hours, the quiet words ring like a low inspiration. Do the next thing. Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt hath its quieting here. Moment by moment, let down from heaven, time, opportunity, guidance are given. Fear not tomorrow, child of the king. Trust that with Jesus, do the next thing. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command. Stayed on omnipotence, safe neath his wing. Leave all resultings, do the next thing. Looking to Jesus ever serener, working or suffering by thy demeanor. In his dear presence, the rest of his calm, the light of his countenance be thy psalm. Do the next thing. I love you in the love of Christ. It's an honor and privilege to have been your pastor. And I am grateful for what God is going to do in your lives in the coming days. Follow him. Walk with him. Love you and thank you.